Father, thank you so much for today and the blessings you have given to us. Whether we perceived it or not, Lord, you have truly blessed us with the beautiful Sabbath. And God, our heart's desire is that you would take us back to that very first Sabbath that you experienced with Adam and Eve, that we would sense something of that experience tonight. Lord Jesus, we just pray and ask that your angels would fill this place, that this tent would become a place of heaven. Thank you so much, God, for especially for sending the greatest of all teachers and preachers, the Holy Spirit, to us. For this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The name of the message is called, Always Be Ready for the Scholarly Mind. Always be ready for the scholarly mind. We've been taking a good look at our theme verse the last couple days, and we found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, the best principles that we can incorporate when it comes to witnessing is simply that. But sanctify the Lord God where? In your what? Hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with what? Meekness and what? Fear. Now, if you missed Thursday night presentation, I really suggest to you that you get that presentation. I was actually able to share a quotation from the Spirit of Prophecy where Ellen White actually talks about people one day who will be brought before kings and rulers, people from our own church. And when they get up there to speak a word in defense of the goodness of God, that their enemies will reproduce mistakes of their past lives. Things they had said that they thought would be forgotten. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand what is God's plans for our lives today. Can you say amen to that? You know what's really interesting? I was talking today in one of my seminars, one of the uh, sermons, I should say, that I did this morning for church, and I was talking about the atheistic movement and how when the Sabbath was actually done away with, I did this presentation also on Thursday, that it led to a lack of study of creation of the organism of nature and scientific advancement was actually repressed during the Dark Ages shared a bunch of different historical quotes of people who actually were outlawing scientific study, including surgery, to the point that when the Black Plague came, it completely decimated Europe's population, killing over 200 million people. And the historians record that simple rudimentary things could have saved millions from dying. And it was shortly after that that you had the French Revolution a couple hundred years later. The French Revolution actually took place where you had this sort of pendulum swinging one way and you now had a group of people who wanted nothing to do with religion or with God based upon what was experienced during the Dark Ages into the Middle Ages. And since that time with the coming of Marx and Darwinism, it has led to this militant atheistic movement that exists today. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be very careful when we remove what God has set in place. Amen? G.K. Chesterton says this. He says, before you remove a fence, ask why it was put there to begin with. Amen? Before we proceed to say, well, I'm just going to remove what God has already said, let's ask ourselves the question, why was it there in the beginning? And we begin to understand some very powerful things. In fact, when you take a good look at the, the world that we live in and the chaos that we live in, we begin to see some unusual things when it comes to the movements, it comes to the revolutions and counter-revolutions. 
a lot of these things that are now taking place actually had much of their roots in the classroom. In the classroom. I want to repeat that one more time. The movements that are now existing today, many of the negative movements that are now existing today, much of them have their roots in the classroom. Ladies and gentlemen, if there ever is a time for us to understand education, it is now. Can you say amen to that? And you know what God has ordained when it comes to the Seventh-day Adventist Church? He has ordained the educational movement. We are called to be a group of people that is educating people for all of eternity. And I praise God for our education system. Do I believe some things are wrong about our education? Just as much as I believe some things are wrong about the church. But does that mean we dismiss the education system? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, when you go to India, I actually have spent a, you know, some time in India. I go probably about once a year, and I visit different colleges. There's one college I visit in the northeast side of India, and I do a week of prayer there. What's very interesting is they have over 1,000 students. Many of them are Hindus and Muslims. And that college is actually a very successful Seventh-day Adventist college. It's gained a reputation in the community. People who are Hindus, people who are Muslims and Sikhs will actually go to this college and pay full price for tuition. Because they know when they leave this college, they will actually have a lot of, good, a lot of hope for getting a job, a good job in India. What's also very interesting about the educational, the Adventist educational system in India, you know, here in America, a lot of our schools are struggling, and we actually need a lot of church support. We call it subsidy, right? Over there, their schools actually support the churches. They actually fund the churches and keep them going. And it's so interesting, when you ever have, have, get, get a chance to go over there, you begin to see all the wonderful things that God is doing to reach many of these Hindus and Muslims who would not go to an evangelistic series, but they would come to a school. And what's interesting about the educational system is that it's a complete cultural change for them. You know, a lot of these Hindus get baptized, and they never get rid of all their gods. It's just another god. But when they go through the education system, not only do they have just a, a complete makeover in the culture itself, but God really begins to prick their heart with sincere conviction. And many of them who leave are changed and converted, and, and many of them actually get secretly baptized. Because in that part of India, proselytizing is illegal. Education is so important. In fact, when you take a good look at the word education, the word education comes from the Latin word educare, which simply means to draw out. It means to actually draw out. Unfortunately, a lot of our educational system is simply sort of based upon the Socratic method, where it's just merely the communication of information to the point where people start falling asleep or they don't learn anything in class. And this is the way our modern educational system is today. But what's interesting about that is that the Bible actually talks about this principle when it comes to education. Take your Bible. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 20. I've taken a good time studying out a particular verse found in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. 
I've studied this verse out in different translations, studied out the Hebrews, I've studied out different commentators, and the one thing that keeps coming back when I take a good look at this verse in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, it communicates to us something very important about education. Let's see what the Bible says. Counsel in the heart of man is like what? Deep water. There are things in the heart of man that cannot be seen because they're so deep inside his own heart, he is unaware of the things that are going on. But take a good look at the rest of the verse. But a man of understanding will what? Draw it out. Now, I know there's a lot of teachers here. There are a lot of people who are educators here. And by the way, how many people here are educators? Raise your hand. Oh, you should have all raised your hand. When you share the gospel with people, aren't you educating people? I guess if you ain't raising your hand, you must not be a missionary. How many educators do we actually have here? Amen. Praise the Lord, right? And that's what's so beautiful. God actually calls us to be part of the educational system. Whether we're actually teaching in a school or rather we're actually giving money to that school. But we are all called to be part of this beautiful education system that God actually has set up. Now, what's interesting about the educational system that God has set up, God designed it in such a way where it would meet the needs of the entire human being. From the physicality to the mentality to the spirituality, every part of that would be educated for eternity. Because humanity is composed of those three elements. They cannot be separated. What affects one affects the other. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, what does this have to do with reaching the scholarly mind? You just pay attention. You'll find out. I always tell people there's going to be a good left hook at the end of this sermon. And so when you understand what God has set up, you begin to understand the principles of education. You know, a lot of times I will go to a Sabbath school and there's one Sabbath school, one, kinds of, one different kind of Sabbath school that I really, really just don't like. It's the kind of Sabbath school where the teacher is talking for 15 minutes straight without asking a single question. It's called the Sabbath school that's in the sanctuary. You know what I'm talking about? Oftentimes you go to a church and then the Sabbath school teacher, he's talking nonstop and he will never ask a question. And that, my friends, is not a good teacher. He needs to ask questions. He needs to learn how to draw people out. Can you say amen to that? And when he is drawing people out, what begins to take place is a beautiful interaction where the learner begins to grasp in a very personal way the things that he is learning. You know, every Friday night, I actually have a young adult Bible study at my house. I am very particular about this Bible study. God has grown it to, from three or four and has gone up to 20. Sometimes it's been up to 40. God has really blessed. We actually started it in a college ministry. But I am very incessant on making this a discussion Bible study. Because young adults like to talk. And it's hard to shut them up sometimes. <laughs> But I know that Friday night is an educational experience. I really press discussion, talking. By the way, you know what we're told? We're told in the spirit of prophecy right before the close of probation, Ellen White says, I saw in our camp meetings that there would be small groups of people actually doing Bible study in a small conversational manner. She actually sees Bible study being transformed right before the close of probation where people are actually discussing in a conversational manner in real-time talk with each other. 
And as they begin to have this conversation, God is doing some very special things. Can you say amen to that? You know what's very interesting? We're actually told that we need to rise up to the same literary status or attainment that the rest of the world is. In fact, take a good look at what the spirit of prophecy says. The times demand an intelligent, educated what? Ministry, not novices. Look what else she says. False doctrines are being multiplied. The world is becoming educated to a high standard of literary attainment and sin, unbelief, and infidelity are becoming more bold and defiant as intellectual knowledge and acuteness are acquired. This state of things calls for the use of every power of the intellect, for it is keen minds under the control of Satan that the minister will have to meet. He should be well balanced by religious principles, growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Too much haphazard work has been done, and minds have not been exercised to their fullest cap uh, capacity. Our ministers will have to defend the truth against base apostates, as well as to measure scripture evidence with those who advocate specious errors. Now you think to yourself, oh come on, that's not going to happen to me, not in my lifetime. Let me just tell you something, my senior pastor who actually retired up took over the church, he actually was called up to Sacramento for a very interesting reason. What happened was that there was a former church member there, and that former church member had gone to work in Sacramento for a big company. They actually fired him because he was practicing Sabbath keeping. Now you say, where are you going with this? One of the reasons why the pastor was actually called there was because the lawyer for the company actually wanted to interview him about what a Seventh-day Adventist actually is. That if they are people, now listen to this, who consistently keep the Sabbath. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because that lawyer said that this individual who is suing the company actually in the past broke the Sabbath a couple times. And do you know what this lawyer was using? He actually took out the church manual. He studied the church manual out, and he was saying, well, according to your church's, your church's manual, these are the guidelines for the church, right? They're very general guidelines. And what he started using, he started using the church manual to try to prove that this man is not a faithful Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Now you think about this. You say, wait a minute, that's interesting. But ladies and gentlemen, as we get closer and closer to the end of time, we're going to be called more and more on the stand. In fact, we read last on Thursday about how Ellen White says there are movements taking place to bring us to the forefront. And we will be called to give an answer of the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. And ladies and gentlemen, if we are simply wasting, not, wasting time and choosing not to be educated in the things of the Word of God, then we will get up there and we, we, we will be part of that group when Ellen White says they will become so confused they don't even know what they're saying anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, I said this to a, a congregation, I'll say it to you. Every one of you are a witness. The question is, are you a good witness? Every one of you is a witness. Even if you choose not to take the stand for God, you are still being a witness. Even if you choose not to follow God, you are still being a witness about something about God. So the question is, what type of witness will you be? And ladies and gentlemen, if there is ever a time that we need to be more educated in the things of spirituality and have a common sense approach to things in life, it is now. Amen. It is now. Can you say amen to this? 
In fact, what is very interesting, when you take a good look at what God is calling us to do in Revelation chapter 14, to take the gospel to every tribe, every tongue, every people, that would include people in colleges as well. That would include the professional. That would also include the scholarly mind. That would include the doctor. A lot of times we say to ourselves, well, the wise people of the world are just not going to accept the gospel. You are wrong about that. There are plenty of people who are in their right mind, who the Holy Spirit has been working on, that they will come to this truth if it is presented to them in the most beautiful Christ-like way. Can you say amen to that? In fact, what is very interesting about the colleges of the world, you find right there a citadel for intellectual achievement. You find out in our colleges, or the colleges of the world, not Seventh-day Adventist colleges, you actually find in some of our Ivy League colleges, like Yale and Harvard, many of them actually started, get this, many of them actually started during the Great Awakening. And the reason why they started was because they were so in love with Jesus and they wanted to make sure their kids would be educated to know Jesus Christ. In fact, when you take a good look at many of the very first presidents of these Ivy League colleges, many of them were missionaries and pastors. But what's happened since then, there's been a complete change where now these places of intellectual achievement have become citadels of infidelity. But God still calls us to go over there. Can you say amen to that? In fact, watch what Ellen White says right here. It's so powerful. It would be perfectly safe for our youth to enter the colleges of the land. Let's just stop right there. Amen? Come on, let's read the rest of it. It would be perfectly safe for our youth to enter the colleges of our land if they were what? Converted every day. Now that's a very important point. We're told that it's okay for our youth to go out to colleges, these secular colleges and campuses, these places of intellectual, you can say, achievement, and we're called to be missionaries to those places if we are converted every single day. The problem is we get the first part right, we don't get the second part right. Can you say amen to that? And I know many of Adventist young people who said, I'm going to go to college because I just can't afford Adventist education. And they go up there, they go in a Christian and leave a heathen. They go there a Christian and they want nothing to do with Seventh-day Adventism shortly after. In fact, what is so interesting, I've actually had in some individuals, some Seventh-day Adventists who have actually gone into colleges of the world and they come back to me and they said, you know, I've just been really thinking... I'm thinking about becoming a Hindu. And so interesting because here's a Hindu who became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, and I'm talking to somebody who's, who's actually a Christian, who was born and raised a Christian who actually wants to become a Hindu. And that is how much skepticism and attack on Christian belief is there. In fact, what is so interesting, a lot of these colleges of the world is a place where there is, you can say, these are crossroads for information. A lot of people learn so many things in these colleges. It was actually in these colleges that I was learning about Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. It's not the Jesus Christ that I know today. I never forgot when I was actually in Cal State Fullerton taking a class on religion, the teacher, who would not name the church that she was from, she would get up there and she would talk about Jesus and she would begin to say things like, well, his miracles actually didn't take place. And the Bible is actually full of a lot of errors. 
but I'm not Christian though. I just want to let you guys know that. And she would say this over and over again to the point where I got so annoyed, I actually dropped out of the university because of that class. No joke. I dropped out of the university because of that class. I was so annoyed. I had just become a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And I thought to myself, oh, it'd be so good to take a religious class. I was dead wrong. And I went there. And I found out what a lot of young people are getting. A lot of young people who are not converted. And what takes place when they attempt to enter into the colleges of the world and begin to study fiction and they begin to study a lot of atheistic literature to the point that their minds have been so infected by what they have heard, they have so much skepticism and they are just lost in the mazes of skepticism. When they leave, they are no longer Christians. But does God call us to forsake those places where there are a lot of young people who are going there and learning things? God calls us to go to the darkest part of the land, and if that is the local college and you are converted, God calls you to go there to be some kind of missionary. Now, in the beginning, I didn't have that burden. Until one day I decided to take a class, and it was a philosophy class. And I went there, and I heard the teacher speak so much skepticism and so much doubt and so much evil to the minds of these, these susceptible minds of these people who just got out of high school, and they were just listening to all these teachers are just filling their minds with this information. I never forgot one day I was just listening, I just thought, oh my goodness, no wonder. No wonder things are the way they are in our world today. There's no hope. There's absolutely no hope. But that's why Ellen White says, she says, look, if you're going to be sending your kids there, they have to be converted. If you're not converted, don't go there. Go to a different Adventist. Go to an Adventist college. But don't go there. Otherwise, you're going to be lost. But, ladies and gentlemen, if the Lord Jesus is working on your heart and he is teaching you to humbly depend upon him, that when you go there, you can be a powerful witness over there. And let me tell you, the harvest is good there. There are a lot of young people who are searching. There are a lot of people who are wanting to understand more and more about this world that we are living in. And when I was becoming a Christian, I was yearning for somebody to come up to me and teach me the Bible. And that's why I have a burden for the colleges today. I have a burden to the point where I actually take three or four classes over there. But it's really interesting. When you take a good look at what is happening in our colleges all around us, God is calling us to understand how we can best reach people like that. In fact, we're going to take a good look at the life of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see how he reached some people who were not like him when it came to the things of the word of God, who did not have an understanding that he possessed. He was dealing with a lot of scholars and doctors. In fact, take your Bible. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, we're going to see how Jesus reached the scholars of his time. How Jesus reached the scholars of his time. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Let's start with verse 39. How did Jesus reach the scholars of his day? Please say amen if you're there. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, talking about the parents of Christ, 
They returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with what? Wisdom. Now, this is extremely important. Don't miss this point. He, he grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was what? Upon him. And the reason why Jesus was learning at a young age is because his mother was playing a role in his development. The Bible says his parents were doing that which was according to the law of the Lord. And the, according to the law of the Lord, they were supposed to teach their child about the things written in Deuteronomy. And so Jesus began to learn so much. In fact, this is so funny. One day I actually had a woman who said to me, she was a Catholic lady. She was just a very cultured lady, and we were just studying the Bible. She went through the evangelistic series and really wasn't convinced about what she was hearing. And so we were just studying the Bible, and she was just, just, just a very staunch Catholic. And uh, she was just talking to me, and she was like, you know, Mary taught Jesus. Do you believe that? And I said, yes, I believe that. She played a role in his development. And she says, this is why she has an exalted position in heaven. And she was telling me this stuff, and she was saying, Mary is really blessed, and just, just like that. And she's like, Mary is really holy, and that's why we need to give her some reverence, because she's the mother of Jesus, and because Jesus was the Savior of mankind, and she played a role in his development, is why she is honored in heaven. And I said, sister, we've already gone through the state of the dead. You know what happens to people when they die? They sleep. And she's like, no, but still, I just want to worship Mary. Like, she was really attached to Mary. And she was wanting to worship Mary. And she's like, but you don't understand. Mary's blessed. And I was telling her, I said, but still, God calls us to be faithful to the word of God. And she's like, I know. And she just kept insisting, Mary is holy and she is blessed. And that moment, God just impressed me with a powerful verse. Take your Bible, go to Luke chapter 11. Keep your finger there. You're going to love this. I said, sister, I want to show you something in the Bible. You say Mary is so blessed. I go to, go to Luke chapter 11. Go all the way to verse 27. You're going to love this. So she kept telling me, Mary is so blessed. Mary is so blessed. So I said, let's go to verse 27. I said, one day Jesus was sitting in the midst of a lot of people having a good meal. Then watch what happens. Verse 27. And as it happened, he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. I said, let me ask you a question. Who was the womb that bore Jesus and uh, who nursed Jesus? And you know what she said? Mary. See, I told you she was blessed. And I said, read the next verse. <laughs> but he said, more than that. Blessed are those who hear the word and what? Keep it. And I said, sister, who is more blessed than Mary? And she looked at me and she just put her head down. And she said, God is speaking to me. And I said, of course, sister. Of course. I said, who are you going to be? I said, you can be more blessed than Mary if you pay attention to the word of God. She was so convicted in her heart. I just love what the Lord does. You can save that for later. But here you begin to see that when it came down to the scriptures, although Jesus was thankful, of course, to his mother for her development, he made sure that she needed a savior too. Can you say amen to that? But let's go back to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to see how Jesus was reaching the scholarly mind. I promise you this, you're not going to be disappointed at the end of this sermon. Luke chapter 2. 
Luke chapter 2, let's go to verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year of the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days, they returned. And their boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. Make sure you don't leave your children behind after WYC. Let's keep going. And Joseph and his mother did not know. But supposing him to be in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Verse 46. So now it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the what? Teachers, Teachers or doctors. Let's see what happens next. Both listening to them and asking them what? Questions And all who heard him were what? Astonished at his understanding and answers. So the parents of Jesus are looking around. They're worried. Can you imagine? Three days they were told before in the past this would be the Messiah. And now they've just lost the Messiah. <laughs> Three days. Can you imagine what Mary must have gone through when she would be at nighttime? Wondering about this feast of Passover and all the people coming from the various parts of the countryside and taking different children. There could have been a kidnapping. I mean, she was probably worried. And when they finally find Jesus, they're so shocked, so surprised. And he's sitting, the boy Jesus is sitting in the midst of rabbis, of scholars, of doctors, and they're completely surrounding him. In fact, what is very interesting, when you take a good look at Jewish tradition, oftentimes it was the teacher who was in the center and the students were surrounding him. And they're looking and they're seeing Jesus in the midst and everybody else is surrounding him. All the doctors and all the teachers and all these rabbis were so astonished. And here we begin to see Jesus really introducing something to these people. Ellen White says in Desire of Ages that what he was sharing with them, had they accepted it, it would have worked reformation in their day. The boy Jesus had a problem though. The problem was is that he was dealing with very prejudiced, prideful minds. A lot of times, education can make you prideful. The Bible says knowledge puffs up. But in the school of Christ, there is no graduation. Amen? Amen. In fact, I remember one day C.S. Lewis, or not C.S. Lewis, C.D. Brooks was actually speaking before a group of seminary students. And he said to them when they were getting their master's divinity, he says, do you think you can master divinity? <laughs> there is no graduation in the school of Christ. Amen? But what we are being educated for is to continue. In fact, the word disciple is the word Matthias in Greek, which means learner. And we are called to be lifelong learners. Can you say amen to that? And here Jesus is. He is sitting in the midst of these very prideful, very arrogant, these very dignified scholars, people who had memorized a large portion of the Old Testament, if not the entire Old Testament, including rabbi commentaries. And he was sitting there. And everyone was so blown away because they saw this child who was speaking truth to him. Ladies and gentlemen, the first thing we need to understand when it comes to reaching the scholarly mind is that we need to come to people like that with humility. Amen? We need to come with open and humble hearts. You know what is intrinsic to the communication or the, what's intrinsic to truth is its very communication. Alterations in the communication of the truth therefore deforms the truth as well. So if you communicate the truth in a wrong way, the truth itself suffers. 
And that's why Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 says, make sure that your words are always seasoned with salt and grace as you're communicating to people out in the world. Can you say amen to that? And oftentimes we forget about this. Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to the communication of truth, when we are dealing with very prejudiced, educated minds who want nothing to do with Christianity, the first thing we need to understand is humility. Humility. One of my good friends who actually used to be a student here, he was studying pastoral ministry. He went to one of the Baptist theological seminaries. He went nearby, and he was talking to one of the theology professors, and he says, hey, I'd love to share with the Sabbath about you. You give me 30 minutes, and I'll listen to you for about 30 minutes, and we'll decide where to go from there. And so my friend was telling me, he says that when I was about to go, all of a sudden I was really impressed to pay reverence to this old theologian. To be humble. And he says when he showed up, he was very respectful towards this old man. And so the old man get up the, got up there and he began to just talk on a chalkboard, right on a chalkboard for about 30 minutes, why he believed the Sabbath shouldn't be kept. And then my friend says, I really appreciate that. Do you mind if I do this? He gets up there, and for 30 minutes he's writing, and the Spirit of God is just guiding his hand. And when he says, he turns to the theologian, he says, well, what do you think? The theologian is scratching his head, and you know what he says? I need to go back and study this. In fact, you want to know what I showed my church today? I showed him a church that just has gone viral. It's actually a testimony of a Baptist pastor. Have you seen it yet? He's a Baptist pastor who just, who's been converted to the Sabbath. He hasn't become a Seventh-day Adventist, but he has led his entire church into keeping the Sabbath. But what's really interesting is how it took place. He was talking about how he opened up this big theological school. And he was there, and he says this 10th grader came to him who was an Adventist. A 10th grader came to him and started sharing with him about the Sabbath. And he's like, I have a PhD. What in the world am I going to learn from a 10th grader? And so he's there just listening, and seeds are being planted in his heart. And so he's just thinking about it. And other Adventists start coming into his life, and he says, one thing I was really impressed by was their consistency in their life, in the way they lived their life for Christ. He said, we would actually have basketball games Friday night. And he said that a Seventh-day Adventist, right before sundown, would go over there, and they would take their kids and walk away. And he says, I know what they were doing. They were probably going to go worship. And he began to notice this. And he says, one day there was a Seventh-day Adventist, one of the parents who were actually sending their kids to that school, came up to him in a very humble way, and he says, he said, sir, me and you are friends, right? He said, yep. He says, I need your help with something. He's like, yes. He says, I've just read this book. And he says, this book, he says, I'm really convinced about what I've just read. But you have a PhD, and you have a very scholarly mind. I wish you could read it. And if you find something there you disagree with, could you please tell me about it? If you, if you really love me, would you please do that for me? And I mean, he was just really stoking the guy's ego. And the Baptist pastor said, all right. And it was that book by 3ABN called The Ten Commandments Twice Removed. So he picks up the book, and he says, that night, he began reading it. He finished it. And then he was like, I need to reread this. He rereads it a second time. And he starts shaking his head. He rereads it a third time. And then he gives it to his wife and he says, Honey, uh, could you just take a good look at this book and tell me what you think about it? <laughs> she actually reads it. 
And almost one night, she comes to him the next day and she says, all right, I've read the book. And he says, well, what do you think? And she says, it's a no-brainer. We need to start doing this. And he said, give me that book. I'm going to read it one more time. <laughs> she actually says that. He reads it the fifth time. He's so convicted about what he is hearing and what he is reading, he and his wife actually get on their knees and they ask for forgiveness for 35 years of preaching the wrong message. But then he says, we got to tell our church. So the showdown took place next Sunday. <laughs> he gets there Sunday and he's just praying, Lord, this is your truth. Help me to communicate it. So he communicates this truth to his Baptist church. And he's telling them, he's like, you may disagree with me, but I'm still going to love you anyways. But we're going to start keeping the seventh day Sabbath. And we're going to start worshiping. And his church said, all right, pastor, we respect you and your ministry. And we're going to do that too. He said every single one of them started worshiping on the Sabbath. You know what's so interesting? He says this to the, the Adventist church he's giving this testimony in. He's like, you Adventists, we really appreciate you guys. He's like, but uh, we're so in love with the Sabbath, we don't wait till Saturday morning. We start Friday sundown to start worshiping God. <laughs> me and my church, we're so in love with the Sabbath, this is what we do. And he's telling me, these, he's telling this in the testimony, and then he starts saying something. He says to the Adventist church, he said, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. He said, stay consistent. And then he says something so remarkable. He said, you Adventists have got the truth. Here's a Baptist pastor whose linear congregation has actually opened up educational facilities, who's actually telling an Adventist church, you got the truth. And it was because some humble people decided that they were going to love on him, that they were just going to be his friend, and as his heart was opening up more and more, they were able to share some powerful truth in such a humble way, and the Spirit of God convicted him. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, when the spoken word fails, the written word will prevail. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And oftentimes in my life, I have felt like when I'm taking classes, I'm like, Lord, I cannot reach this thick-headed philosophy teacher. I remember one time I was actually taking a class. It was two years ago. And the class was reasoning. It was a philosophy class. I was taking the class, and I was just sitting there. And the teacher was just, you know, he was just speaking nonstop from the very beginning all the way to the end. And I would often raise my hand just to start discussion and keep myself awake. So I raised my hand. And uh, the teacher talked about how philosophy is going to solve the world's problems. And he was saying that what we need to do is continually develop philosophies that will help our world. He says, we are progressing, and uh, this is going to help our world. I raised my hand. I said, sir, I said, haven't we tried that already? I mean, has it actually worked? He said, I want to talk to you after class. <laughs> I said, all right. And it was so interesting. Every student slept, and he was talking to me, and he had this cigarette, and he was just smoking, and he was just blowing smoke in my face. And I was, <coughs> and I was like, take one for the team, Lord. Take one for the team. And I was like, you know, Lord, protect my lungs, things like that. And I was just talking to him, and I was trying to make out my words, but I kept coughing while he was just smoking. And what he was telling me about, he told me something very interesting. He says, he's like, you're a Christian, I assume. I go, yes. He's like, what church you go to? And I go, well, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. He says, you're Seventh-day Adventist? I go, yeah. He's like, my best friend is a Seventh-day Adventist. And I said, really? And we started talking. And praise the Lord, I thought to myself, I was like, Lord, what can I do to get this, give this guy some literature? It was so interesting. I went back to my car. I said, I said please stay here. I'm going to get you something. I want you to check it out. It's straight from history. I went and I got a DVD 
by the cruisers. <laughs> it's called Ancient Scripture Mysteries. You guys ever heard of it? Did I say it right, Chad? Wherever you're at? Scripture, thank you very much. I get it, and I was like, hey, bro, I said, you've got to check this out. You'll absolutely love it. It's straight from history, and it's about Christianity, too. He's like, all right. He started watching it. In fact, what's very interesting, we're still friends on Facebook. But you know, here's the thing. The seeds are planted. Now I'm going to take it a step further, okay? I'm going to take it a step further. When it comes to reaching people who are scholarly, who are educated, we also need to learn the art of asking questions. You know, we're really good at giving answers. You know about that, right? What day is the Sabbath? Yeah, every person here can recite it from memory, the fourth commandment. I'm sure about it, right? If you can't, you better to go through an evangelistic series again. But anyways, you know what I'm saying? Like, here, here's what I'm saying. I mean, we're good at giving answers. Sabbath school teacher asks a question, you give an answer. This is the way you're raised. The teacher asks a question, you give an answer. We're no longer good at asking questions. And look what the Bible says about Jesus, that when he was dealing with the scholarly mind, he knew how to disarm their prejudice. Prejudices. Look what he says. Now so it was, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. Now watch this. Both listening to them and asking them what? Questions. In fact, one day I did a study on the amount of questions that Jesus asked in the Gospels. He asked 100 questions. Over 100 questions he's actually asked. Email me later on if you want my email, and if you want my information, and I will get that to you. 100 questions Jesus would actually ask when he was reaching out to people. What saith the law? How readest thou? What is, your, what is your interpretation of it? And over and over again, Jesus knew why asking questions was super important. And oftentimes, we're just sitting there, we're just like, what questions can I ask? Let me just tell you something. If you are prayerful and you spend time contemplating, you're going to be like David when he said in Psalms 119, we learned about this, verse 98 or 99, where he says, I am more wiser than my teachers because I make your testimonies my meditation. Learning to spend time with God in the morning, you begin to ask questions. You know, the more we're going to be growing throughout all of eternity, we're not, I, I believe we're going to be asking more questions than ever before. We're going to be learning so much. We're always told, well, you're going to learn so many answers. You're going to learn so many questions too. You, by nature, are a finite being. God is infinite. And a lot of things by faith we're going to have to accept. But as we are asking questions, God slowly will reveal these things to us. Here's the thing, God is waiting for people to ask him questions. And so Jesus knew how to disarm the prejudices of the scholars and teachers that he was dealing with. And he would use this. And as the people would start asking, answering, and they would listen and ponder the things that he was asking, the word of God was planted in their heart. Jesus had several reasons why he was asking questions. He revealed the divinity of the Savior by these heart-searching questions. He exposed assumptions held by the questioner and showed the questioner the fallacies of their belief. He pointed out prejudices and avoided possible accusations. He led the questioner to obvious conclusions on their own, thus making them responsible for the answer. And they would yearn for more. You know, I'm going to tell you this story. You know, I've been doing apologetic stuff for probably the last two or three years, and I thought to myself, you know, Lord, I said, I, I've been studying creationism. I've been studying science lately. I said, Lord, can you do something with this? Can you give me an opportunity 
to witness for you in the classroom? Well, I decided to take a philosophy of science class at the local college. And uh, the teacher, she was an atheist. Her name is Judy Kane, spelled like the man who killed Abel. <laughs> and she says, we're going to be studying the philosophy of science. And so we're studying it out. And the problem with this was this. I actually started the evangelistic series in Mountain View, California. Okay? At the end of that semester. Okay, what's the big deal? Because she told us from the very beginning, the last part of the semester, she was going to dedicate to creationism. Specifically, attacking creationism. And I thought to myself, okay, well, you know, I said, Lord, I'm about to do an evangelistic series. I won't have much time to go over there, so maybe I should just let go of the classroom, drop it. And God kept impressing me, you go to that classroom. And so it was interesting. I had two nights off in the evangelistic series. I had Monday nights were off, and then I had Thursday nights were off. I had classes Tuesdays and Thursdays. So many times I would just race on that day, go take the classes, and then race back an hour and 45 minutes back to Mountain View, California, and preach that night to go there just for about a, an hour class. Well, this teacher, she starts going after creationism and stuff. And let me tell you, there were some very vociferous atheists in that class. When she started talking about why creationism was wrong and all these various things, I said, well, Lord, I said, I want to be humble when I'm talking. I want to ask questions. And so let me just tell you what took place. <laughs> this is funny. Uh, it's not funny at the time, but it was funny now. I look back. <laughs> these are all science students, and one of them is a, a pre-law student. They're going to you know, go become doctors or nurses or scientists. And so when she started getting into creationism and tacking creationism, um, one lady, she was in their corner, she said, yeah, those creationists, they always talk about the kinds. And she was going after what Genesis chapter uh, 6 talks about, the kinds. Every, God brought every kind into the ark. And she says, they make a big excuse about the kinds and stuff like that. So I raised my hand. And I was like, well, I said, you know, it's very interesting, but when you take a good look at the fossil record, there are a lot of transitional fossils that are missing. You know, it's a classic argument. And that lady, she turns to me, and she just yells at me. She's like, this is the word she used. I haven't forgot it. She said, this isn't Pokemon. <laughs> just like that. I mean, just this anger towards me. And I'm just standing there and sitting there, and I'm just, I look at her, and I just look at the teacher. And uh, a student on the left, he raises his hand, and, he, and then he goes after this. He's like, yeah, and those creationists, he says, we, they say the earth is 6,000 years old. He says, you take a rock. And he just started ranting. He was, just, he was the guy that was becoming a lawyer. He was just ranting, and he was like, when you look at, the, at what um, history says, the rocks are 2.5 million years old. And you're telling me it's 6,000 years? I mean, he just started yelling like that. And I was just looking at him, and he was just getting into it. Everybody was just shocked at just how angry these people were. <laughs> What's very interesting, the teacher turns to him and he says, don't ever rant like that again in this class. <laughs> she turned to him. She said, don't ever rant like that again in this class. We had to put out daily journals, and I wrote in my journal, I was like, man, there was a lot of anger in the room today. <laughs> She wrote back, this is actually just about two months ago. She wrote back, and she says, she says this to me. She says, Anel, 
your contribution is necessary. And I'm very glad you are coming to this class. We're not done yet. <laughs> so here I am. It's coming down to the last class. I got to finish up the evangelistic series. It's the last week, and I'm just like, I'm so tired. My voice is going out. And I was like, okay, Lord, just this is the last class. You've got to do something. This is the time for you to strike. And so I went over there, I was taking the class, right? The last day, she's going after creationism. The most unusual thing is both those two vociferous, outspoken atheists were not there that day, okay? This is interesting. So she's going after creationism again. We're coming down to the last 10 minutes. Now here's where it really began to speak to my heart, why it is very important to deal with scholarly minds. Sometimes it's just not for the scholar, it's for the everybody else listening. It's for everybody else listening. And I was just so burdened. I felt like Paul coming into, you know, Athens and just like, look at all these idols, you know. I just felt like, I just felt so burdened for everybody was, that was here that there was no hope for them. She goes down and she's coming down to the last 15 minutes of class and she says, and I'm just praying, I'm like, Lord, I need the Holy Spirit right now. You said you would give me a mouth that my adversaries could not resist. I'm just quoting promises left and right, okay? <laughs> That's where it gets interesting, Okay? She's going down, she starts stating the National Science of Academies, their criteria for science, and why that criteria disqualifies creationism. So I'm there, and I'm just like, okay. At the, she's coming down to the end of it, and then I raise my hand, the hand goes up. I speak as humbly as I can, and I said, can I ask a question about the fourth criteria? And she said, yes. I said, it says empirical testability. And she says, yes. I said, when you take a good look at the macro aspect of evolution, I said, we see great, supposed great morphological changes over a period of time. I said, how do we test that if we don't see that in our time period? How do you empirically test that? Well, then she says to me, she says, well, what you do is you go back, you look back in history to see if the evidence is there. I raise my hand again. And everyone starts looking at me, okay? You're gonna like this. I raised my hand again and I said, but when you take a good look at the fossil record, the fossil record is not continuous, it's discontinuous. And then she says, you're right about that. And then I raised my hand again and I said, I said, over the last hundred years, there has been so many hoaxes that there's this pressurization to make the theory fit when in fact it is not fitting, the, the evolutionary theory. And you know what she says to me? In front of that whole class, she said, and you're right again. And then I said, can I ask you one more question? She said, yes. I said, how many alterations does the theory need before it's finally dismissed? And this is how she ends the class. She says, Anel, that's why we're here, is to discover those answers. Now, this isn't even the end, okay? She's also having health problems too, and I happen to have a cooking book. You always keep the <laughs> ammo in the vehicle. <laughs> you gotta keep it there. I mean, you never know when you're gonna need it. I mean, you get those experiences where you're just like, oh, I wish I had a glow right now. You know that experience, right? You feel like someone just smacked you because you just, you forgot the glow. That's how I feel. But you know, so I'm just like, okay. And so coming down to the end of that class and right when the teacher ends that and she says, this is what we're all about. She says, that's why we're here is to discover these answers. This guy turns to me and right in the middle of class, he says, I want to talk to you, man. Just like that, he points right at me. I said, okay, just smile. Okay, just smile. Last day of class. No joke. Walked out. He's like, hey, man. He's like, I don't agree with what you said. And, you know, he's like almost posturing to me. And I was just like, oh, yeah? 
He's like, yeah. He's like, I don't believe in the supernatural whatsoever. He says, I choose to accept the natural. I said, that's very interesting. I said, have you ever studied the Bible with anybody? He's like, yeah, I grew up a Roman Catholic. I don't believe in that stuff anymore. I decided that I was going to be a skeptic. And I said, have you ever studied the book of Daniel and Revelation? He's like, no. I said, you give me three weeks to study the book of Daniel and Revelation. And then you can choose what you're going to, how you're going to live the rest of your life. He said, okay. We have a Bible study scheduled in July. Oh, we're not done yet. <laughs> Last day of class. Turn to the person next to me. It was so odd. When I was talking about creationism and I was defending creationism in that class, the guy on the left, he turns to me and he's just like, hey, bro, like this. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> Give him a high five. Come to find out. Let me just tell you, this guy is not an Adventist, okay? He's not a Christian. He's dating and backslidden Adventist, though. No joke. And I've been inviting him to church. But we're not done yet, though. Last day of class. The guy that was sitting to the right of me, he's sitting to the right of me. And he wrote his final research paper on quantum physics. I wrote my final research paper on intelligent design. It was so interesting. I actually wrote the paper, made it really long, 18 pages. I even put an appeal at the end for the teacher to accept God. <laughs> <laughs> I quoted Jer I quoted Jer I said, I, said I, I laid up all the statistics and I said, sister, it does take faith for me to believe in God, but it takes more faith for me not to believe in him. And that's how I ended that paper. And, but here was so interesting about that. I turned to the guy to the right and he did his paper on quantum physics. He was asking me, he's like, so what did you do your paper on? I said, I did it on intelligent design. And, uh, and by the way, thank you so much, Karen. Karen was my creation teacher when I was here. She laid a good foundation for me. But here's the thing. I said to him, I said, I said, bro, I said, give me your phone number. I'll send you my paper. You can read it for yourself. I said, you can send me your paper too. Okay. He's like, all right. Texted him about a few weeks ago. And I say, hey, man, we're having a Friday night Bible study. And I was just wondering if you want to come to that Bible study. He's been coming every Friday night to the Bible study. <laughs> Let me just tell you something. Sometimes it's just not about the scholar. It's about everyone else listening. I made so many friends in that very adversarial classroom, I even on the last day brought Indian food for them. <laughs> I was trying to connect with that classroom and I decided that when I was gonna go into that classroom and I was depending upon Jesus, I wasn't even reading the material. It was all atheistic, but what I do is I'd cram real quickly with the vocabulary terms and I'd take the test at the end and God really blessed. <laughs> the Lord has mercy on us. But here's the thing, here's the thing that's super important. I, I was able to make friends, and I thought to myself, wait a minute, if I was just a Christian gentleman, every time I was in this classroom, and I spoke very humbly, and would not get angry even with people who were attacking me, and yelling at me, and calling me Pokemon masters, or whatever it is. <laughs> God could use me. Amen. And ladies and gentlemen, if he could use me, he can use you. Amen. Can you say amen to that? Oh, I just can't wait for the next step. I'm already preparing how I'm going to uh, deal with the guy who's coming every Friday night to the Bible study. Can't wait. I'm going to be asked, call him up to start regular Bible studies with me soon. P please pray about that. But ladies and gentlemen, there are many people right now who need a light. And you can be that light. And there should be no worry if you are converted and you are trusting in Jesus, and not depending upon your own strength, your own ability, but you are depending upon Jesus, and you will see what he does for you. Amen. And you will see so many people reach from the student to the scholar to the skeptic. Yeah. 
If your hearts are humble, God will lead you. Remember we learned yes, uh, two days ago? The Bible says in Isaiah 50, verse 4, the Lord awakens me morning by morning to give me the tongue of the learned. God will educate you to reach people like that. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm just one person. God is calling you to be faithful, to rise up to the challenge where you can be a powerful witness for him. Now, the third thing I want to talk about when it comes to reaching people, I know there's not too much time left, is this. This is an extremely important point. Go all the way back to Luke chapter 2. Go all the way to verse, verse 39. I'm going to show you something so powerful here. This is extremely important when it comes to your development. Verse 39. Look what the Bible says. Are we all there? 2 verse 39. So when they had performed all things according to the what? Law of the Lord. They returned to where? Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. Now watch verse 40. And the child grew and became strong in what? Spirit filled with what? Wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Notice this. He is growing spiritually, mentally. But when what happens next is very important. Don't miss this. It's very powerful. He goes through his first powerful witnessing experience where he is understanding his identity. He has never understood his identity like that time. But as he begins that time, go all the way to, to the end of Luke chapter 2. I want you to see something. Verse 51. So he went down with them. This is right after they come back from Jerusalem, after that witnessing experience. So they went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Now watch verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom. Now watch this. And stature and favor with God. He was already doing that. Now watch this. And man. Do you know what Jesus was growing in? He was growing in social power. In other words, as he was witnessing, God was refining him and making him cultured to reach the world. And so this is why the Bible says he now was growing in favor with man. Because now he was understanding his mission. And when you understand that mission, you have a purpose and a goal in reaching people and sharing with them the love of Jesus. Can you say amen to that? And that is extremely important, ladies and gentlemen. God wants us to be faithful to him. If there is ever a time that we need to be converted and consecrated, it is now. And ladies and gentlemen, there is no limit to the usefulness of one who sets aside self and what? Makes room in their heart for what? The Holy Spirit to work. There is no limit to what God can do. We're told in the council that as we get closer and closer to the end, that God will light up our faces and the signature of heaven will be upon our faces as we're witnessing and sharing with him, sharing the gospel for him. And let me tell you something. I have a group of call porters that are staying in my church. And the last three, four years, I was talking to the head of the call porters, Larry Carter, and he was telling me the last three or four years, we've had an explosion of angel encounters. And he says, the angels are joining in the work like never before. He said, God is wrapping up this work. And I was like, Lord, I want an experience like that. I want you to light up my face. I want you to use me for your glory. And it happened one day. Some of you may have heard this story. I was actually at the Grand Canyon with a group of people. And what they were doing is that we had just come back from a mission trip. We were just doing some mission work with the uh, Chinle people of Arizona. They were Navajo. And as we were working with them, we decided to take a trip to the Grand Canyon. A lot of tourists there. And I was just there, and I was there at the Grand Canyon. When you look at the Grand Canyon, it's so surreal. Your eyes are just like focusing backwards and forwards, trying to just, just to sort of magnify and understand that picture you were looking at, that gorgeous, so huge. 
And I was just there standing. And I was about to walk away when all of a sudden I saw this father and his son. They were just arguing. And they're arguing in Spanish. I don't know any Spanish except for a couple words. I looked at them. I was about to walk away. Felt very impressed by God. You look right back at them. I looked right back at them. And I was just staring at them just like this. And the, the father and his son were just talking. And as they were talking, they just started looking at me. It was just really awkward. You have this Indian guy just staring at you. <laughs> and so they were just talking back and forth. Talking back and forth. And they just kept looking at me just like that. And I was just thinking to myself, God, what in the world am I doing right now? And I was just like this, staring at them. You know, and I don't have a natural default smile. You know, my face is a frown. It's just... It's just a frown. And so I was just looking at him, just looking at them while they were arguing. And I was hearing them, these Spanish words, you know, and they were just talking really fast Spanish, you know. And so while they were talking fast Spanish, I heard one word, which I understand, and it was the word Dios. You know what the word means? It means God. So I was just there staring at them, and I heard the word Dios. I'm like, maybe they're talking about God. And so I just continued to stare a little bit more at them. (laughs) Just like that. No joke. It was just that awkward. But here's the thing. To us, it may be awkward, but to heaven, it is a rescue mission. But going back to the awkwardness, I was just there, staring at them just like this. And all of a sudden, they were just done. And the father just puts down his hand just like this. And they both started walking away. And I just started walking towards them just like this. I didn't know what I was going to say or what I was going to do. I thought maybe I'll just be friends with them. Just be very cordial and just be very social with them. And I was just like, you know. Hi, you know. And so I walked right up to them. I was like, hey, how you guys doing? I stuck out my hand. Nothing wrong with that, right? He stuck out his hands like, hey, how you doing? And I was like, hey, I heard you guys arguing over there. You know, act like I understood them. And so I said, I heard you guys arguing over there. He was like, yeah. My son, he's like, my son is just trying to prove to me that the Grand Canyon was caused by a worldwide flood. <laughs> just like that. He laughs just like that. And his son just has this frown on his face. And I just look and I said, well, you know, I actually believe the same thing. And he just snaps his head right back at me like this. And he says, what? And I said, yeah, actually been studying creationism again at that time. And what I said is, well, let me just lay down some reasons. And I begin to lay down about five or six reasons for uh, evidence for a worldwide flood. And he was just there and he was just, he was becoming more and more shocked. He was like, I... I I just, I never heard this before. And his son was just nodding his head like this. Okay, just like that. And I was just there, and and I was just telling him, I was like, yeah, man. I was like, there is so much evidence. But I said, the Bible actually talked about this. And I said, what's interesting is that even over 160 cultures, they talk about a worldwide flood. When I was a Hindu, I actually learned about a worldwide flood. But I said, the Bible has the most complete, accurate history, um, or account of history. He's like, really? And he said, what church do you go to? I go, well, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I said, we take the Bible as it is. He's like, that's interesting. And then I said, hey, brother, I said, I invite you to check out the local Seventh-day Adventist church. He's like, all right, I might be interested in doing that. I said, do you mind if we pray? He's like, yeah. And so we actually prayed. I mean, his whole spirit just changed. His whole demeanor changed. Wait, I'm not done yet. (laughs) So while we were praying, and it was just a great thing, he was just like, oh, praise, this is good, this is good. And I was like, praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, I was like, "That's, that's a powerful witnessing experience. He walks away with his son. And then he turns around, he comes running right back to me. He says, hey, man, I just got to tell you something. I go, what? He said, the reason why me and my son kept looking at you is because your face was glowing. Let me just tell you something. There's no natural sheen in my face right now. 
I mean, I'm serious about that. I mean, the, the sun, it doesn't reflect very well. I mean, so this is what it is. And I realized something. That wasn't me. It wasn't me. And I realized that God was trying to save that man, and the signature of heaven was upon me that day. And I praise the Lord to give him glory. But God is going to be doing this more and more as we reach the end of time. God is going to be increasing these things, but he is looking for people who are willing to make themselves available and people who are willing to have courage. Because if you don't have courage, you're living in fear. But perfect love casts out fear. Can you say amen to that? God is calling his people like never before, ladies and gentlemen. He is calling his people to help be part of this gospel work, to finish this mission. And we are coming down right to the end, ladies and gentlemen. And if there ever is a time, if there ever is a time for God's people to shine, it is now. Can you say amen to that? And what's so interesting, in the darkest part of the world's history, the end of time, when the disease of sin is reaching its climax, will come the brightest Christians this world has ever seen will come the brightest Christians this world has ever seen. And ladies and gentlemen, from country unto country until the last country, this gospel message is going to go out. Amen? From state unto state until the last state, this mission, uh, mission is going to go forward. From county unto county until the last county, the gospel is going to go forward. And from city unto city, ladies and gentlemen, God is sending his people from door unto door until the last door. God's mission will not be hindered. But God wants you to be part of that. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to make a very simple and special appeal. And then we're going to actually have a special music. But that appeal is very simple. And that appeal is, Lord, I want to be a part of what you're doing at the end of time. I want to be where you're at. And if you're doing great things with people who are entering in kinds of different kinds of ministry, then I want to join that kind of ministry. Regardless of what my background may be, regardless of what my education may be, if you are willing, God is willing. Amen? Amen? If you are open, God is open. He is bringing this work down to its final part, just to the very end. And this is the time, ladies and gentlemen, where God is willing to do more for his people than ever before. Than ever before. Will you avail yourself of him now? How many people want to stand up and say, Lord, I want that to be me. Stand up if that's your desire. God, if you want to do great things, now is the time. Lord, I am making myself able. I am making myself able. These are the times that God is calling us to be faithful. And the time will come, ladies and gentlemen, when the gospel will close. And we're going to get to heaven. And we're going to enjoy all the great things of heaven. And we're going to see people saved, eternally saved. And what a day of rejoicing that's going to be. Amen? What a day it's going to be when God's people are united. And what's so beautiful about that is that when you take a good look in Revelation, the Bible talks about the new Jerusalem. It's a perfect cube. There's only one other perfect cube mentioned in Scripture the most holy place. The Bible says the new Jerusalem has several kinds of jewels. Those jewels are only found in one other place where the high, what the high priest is wearing. So what are we beginning to learn about the new Jerusalem? The place where God's people will dwell? It will be the holiest place and the place most nearest to God. 
Ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing more than Satan wants than to make sure you don't ever take his place. There ever is a time to go forward and say, Lord, I'm just going, I'm going to do my best. I may make a lot of mistakes, but I'm going forward. It is now. Amen? We have this hope. I'm going to invite the music team up, and I want everybody to sing so loud that heaven hears us. Amen? Amen. Satan's kingdom trembles as this song is being sung. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.